Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Teacher Tales. Today, we have Lisa coming to us all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. So hi, Lisa. Want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Linda, thanks for having me today. Um, yes, I uh, teach here in Louisville, Kentucky at a private school, and I'm in my 21st year of teaching Chinese. So for my teaching career, I have solely taught Chinese for these past 21 years. Wow. So what has that been like? Have, has it been exciting? Have the programs been well supported by parents and the community? Well, when I first, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question with administrators. Um, so when I first started teaching, um, I was at a public school in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And um, um, so just so you know, I have a bachelor's degree in Chinese and political science. So I did not go through the original channel channels of teacher's ed. Um, so when I applied, I was, you know, 24 and I'm like, wow, I want, you know, let's try teaching. And so the, the program did expand in the three years that I was in the public school. So, and that was in uh, 2000. So from 2000, 2003, it grew from a part-time position to needing two full-time teachers. Wow. And I also taught distance learning back then. So like after I was done teaching, I would go to the language lab and teach two, um, two girls remote um, in Northern Wisconsin at the time. So that was a very interesting experience to, to kind of my first delve, you know, diving into um, technology and teaching remotely and how to teach on how to teach Chinese, which was, which was really interesting. And then um because of that certification process back then, it was very difficult to get a Chinese certification for public school. Um, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, like all surrounding states did not have certification for Chinese. So what I tried to do was get, because my political science degree, I tried to get an initial certification in social studies. And so I can get an endorsement in Chinese. So in the state of Illinois, and I lived in Illinois and um, commuted to Wisconsin, they had that. So I was furiously trying to get my initial certification for social studies, but then they did find a certified Chinese teacher. So um, I was kind of out of a job. So then I found um, I found a job in Florida, in Tampa. That's how I moved from, um, from Illinois to Tampa and started working at private schools. So since 2003, I've been working in private schools ever since. And similarly, that school um, 
had a part-time position, but they knew it would grow to full-time. And I, over the next, I want to say four years, grew the program from one part-time teacher to needing two and a half. So two full-time teachers and a a part-time teacher when I was there. So it was um, very supported by administration. It was very well, very much embraced. Even in Wisconsin, when I was teaching there, it was it was new to have Chinese at a school, the only one in Kenosha that had Chinese. So the parents supported it. Took my first um, took my first group of students to China there. It, actually, we were supposed to have it in 2003, but then SARS hit. So I had to delay it a year. And because I love teaching and love my students, even though I moved to Florida in 2003, I flew back to Wisconsin in 2004 to take those groups of students that I initially started planning and took them to China, even though I was no longer working for the district and no longer a part of the school, just because I wanted them to have that experience because no one else would take them if I didn't do that. So, and then yes, and then um, Florida, love there, met you, met somebody wonderful as I say, PFF, professional forever friends, right? And then had an opportunity to kind of expand my wings and came up here to Louisville about eight years ago and um, had um, the opportunity to be department chair um, for the world language department and some other great opportunities. So, and yes, um, it was very supported. at, when I moved up here to, to Louisville and, and to be a Chinese teacher and to be a, a department chair, um, especially for high school, is, um, is, not, is not predominant. You don't hear a lot of language teachers that are Chinese teachers mm-hmm. that are actually department chairs. Yeah. And, and so. you know, you bring up a lot of great points about some obstacles or things that, you know, you just want to teach, you just want to go into the classroom, you, and then you have certification do it can I get certified in it can I can I still have my certification can I renew it can I get this endorsement and then selling your program like you have you are a master at it obviously because you've built the programs and you know into multiple teachers and and for Chinese that's amazing uh and that's why you were state teacher of the year and then regional teacher of the year and and, and you know for world languages and so but it takes a lot to do that. It takes a lot to sell your program and to innovate it so that it's desirable over, first of all, other languages, but then mm-hmm. other electives where they get more funding, they may get more attention. People understand it more. And then they say, oh, well, I want this. Like, I understand music, so we're going to build our music program. I had a superintendent that did that. But I don't <laughs> really know languages, and I don't really like them, so I'm going to cut that program. So how, what did you do to, to, I mean, obviously going back and taking kids to China when you're not even their teacher anymore or living there anymore. So that's dedication and passion, and that can fuel a lot of growth <laughs> in a program. Any other tips or tricks? 
Well, I think you hit that nail on the head is that passion. You know, um, I will be honest, um, teaching wasn't something I thought of my initial career. My dad, um, when I was in college and I lived in China for a year, when I would come home, I would just regale him with tales and about culture and experiences. And he says, you need to be a teacher, you need to be a teacher. And, and I fought that. I'm like, no, I don't want to be a teacher, you know, live perpetually in high school for like the rest of my life, never graduate. Um, but then it was, it, it is something that being in the classroom, being with the students, seeing those aha moments, you know, I can't tell you how many times in the past 21 years, no matter if it was Wisconsin, Florida, Kentucky, why are you teaching Chinese? Why is Chinese, why should my student take Chinese? Why should I do this? And, and but along the lines, there were teachers and students that saw the benefit of studying Chinese. And it was those students that gave, that continue to give me that hope that, you know, and the parents, like, we appreciate what you're doing. It's those, it's, it's because I see the success of the students in the classroom and, um, and the passion because I fell in love with Chinese and their culture and everything about that. So I want to excite my students that, you know, learning a language is just not about the grammar and it's just not the words that are in the textbook. It's the culture, it's the people, it's the history, it's everything. And how, how cool is that to learn something that is so different than what we grew up or I grew up in the Midwest outside of Chicago. And the kids get excited about that. And one of the things I did as being a Chinese teacher is I learned from my colleagues, right? I was the only Chinese teacher um, when I was in Wisconsin in the classroom. When I moved to Florida, I was the only Chinese class, uh, Chinese teacher until I built the, built the program. But I would go, I was hungry as a young teacher. Um, I would go to the you know, Wisconsin Teachers Association and I would go to um, the French sessions, the the um, Spanish sessions, the ELL sessions, I would learn and find games and things that would engage my students in the classroom, that would make it fun. I learned very traditionally, and that was not fun. I learned, but it wasn't that traditional. So I wanted to make sure that I networked, I met people, exchange ideas. Without that, without having that, that, that teacher tribe, without having those people in my life, I don't think I would have had the energy to continue, like trying to figure out everything by myself. You know, 2000, yes, the internet was around, but it didn't have the social media, it didn't have the things that it has today, where I can just easily tweet something, say, hey, or go on my Facebook group, say, hey, I need an idea, do you have a project idea? I learned from others. So I wasn't afraid to learn from others and feel like I knew it all. And also asking my students, like asking them, soliciting advice from them, asking them what they thought about this project or that, and having them engaged in their learning. So that's one of the things I learned early on in my career was I can't be alone. I can't be an isolated island. I need to have people. So when I was in Wisconsin, one of the first things I wanted to know is, hello, who else is out there that teaches Chinese? So from, from when I left in 2003, there were four Chinese teachers in universities and in high schools that taught Chinese in the entire state of Wisconsin. And I found out who those four people were, and I made it my mission to network with them. Moved to Florida guess what I did? I contacted the Florida Department of Education. I wanted to know who was out there that we can support and love each other. And because of that, 
that's how I was able to start developing the Florida Chinese Teacher Association. It started as a consortium because I would contact principals, I would contact district supervisors. I was the one that wanted to say, where are my people? Let's learn, let's get together. We can't do this alone. So for me, that's, it's the passion, the students and the desire because of those needs that I needed to network and find people to help support each other. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things we're going to talk about that you brought up there, and we're going to kind of, you know, do a little thinking math off these ideas (laughs) is, you know, I hear a lot of times, and I know when I was in the classroom, uh, teachers tend to live in silos. I go in my classroom, I close the door, and then it's just me and the kids. And that's a very safe place. It's a very comfortable place for teachers. But with PLCs and now all these other things where teachers are being forced to collaborate, and I'm going to use the word forced because sometimes it is being forced, Mm -hmm. or they are eager to collaborate with other teachers. And then because of the circumstances or the administration of the PLCs and how they're enforced or what they should look like. Um, and teachers not having ownership or power over how they collaborate and everything, it becomes a competition and it can become a very mean girl society mm-hmm. sort of um, thing. So, so that sort of um, ca- causes teachers to then say, mm, yep, no, I'm going to stay in my silo. I don't want to go out. So what do you say about seeking support and seeking, you know, collaboration with others for the good of the program, for the good of the subject that you're teaching, and best of all, for the better learning for all your students and for your learning and growing? Um, that's powerful, what you said about all of that. And we need to seek out you know what, in life, we need to seek out like-minded people, like-hearted people. And that PFF and going to conferences and going to your professional organizations and your colleagues to get that is critical. So we were talking about support also as a human being and how, how do we get that as we are sharing our passion and we're doing all these things like taking kids to China and we don't even live in the state anymore. And we have our own children and we have our own life obstacles and challenges. And we're just trying to figure things out in our own personal lives every day and try to figure out things in our professional <laughs> lives. Um, how do we balance that? How do we, how do we make our way through that um, as, as, as people who care and who do have a lot of passion for our students who we call our kids and mm-hmm. then our own children who are our kids and, and then our own personal needs. So that's a big loaded question. I was just going to say, I have a lot to unpack that question. Yes, Linda. You, <laughs> you, you know, I, it's, you know, I love the concept of PLCs, but at the same time, if you're forced to join something that doesn't feel organic, then it could feel like, oh, it's another job. It's another burden that I have to do. Um, When I was a brand new teacher, 25 in Wisconsin, one of the things that 
at first I was like, oh, I have to do this, but I actually have to say it was the best thing for me is they required, and I don't know if they no longer do this, that when you're a new teacher, at least in the district that I was in, um, you are required to take like once a week for an hour district-wide new teacher like orientation. So it wasn't just one and done at the beginning of school year. You were required to take for the entire year um, like an hour class weekly. And with me having no teaching experience, did not um, study that in college, I learned so much from social studies teachers, English language teachers, science teachers, because there are a lot of things in teaching that, that transcend um, subject area, right? So at first I was like, oh, I'm forced to do this. Okay. But it was actually the most beneficial thing. So sometimes like, you know, with humans, we know we need to change. We know we need support, but sometimes we don't know what's exactly what's good for us. Right. And, um, and, and how do you, how do you juggle and balance everything? I think I like to say, and I take this from, um, I would say he's a good friend of mine, like my work husband, um, that I feel like I'm a learned extrovert. So I am very, I believe it or not, which you're like, what, Lisa, you are, you are so much an extrovert. I've learned to come out of my shell because when I'm in the classroom, yes, close the door. I'm with my students. You know, what happens in Chinese class is in Chinese class. But then when they leave, how do I make my experience better for them? Am I doing, these are humans that I'm teaching. How am I teaching these humans the best possible way? How do I meet the needs of all learners? So personally, I have three children, two of whom I like to call, they say, learning differences, you know, learning disabilities. And I have learned as a mom that, and now I'm a better teacher because I differentiate more, you know, putting myself in the classroom, not really sure what I'm doing. So I've learned from my students. The students have taught me so much more by listening to them, by, by getting feedback from them. And, but how do I mentally <laughs> survive being a teacher is because I have my friends that I can confide in, that I can vent, that I can just say, we all, you know, people who are like-minded, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. And this is what I need to like unpack. And like, they're like my therapist for teaching because when I would come home and I would tell um, my husband at the time, he's not a teacher. He doesn't get it, you know? And so I have to have somebody, because sometimes if you're like frustrated in the classroom and you just talk to somebody about it, um, they'll maybe have a solution or maybe they're experiencing the same thing. So you don't feel alone. So at first, you know, I was very introverted. I'm like, I don't want to tell people like how I'm feeling and what's going on. But I slowly started talking and confiding in people, which was very hard for me at first. But then I realized I'm not alone. I don't have to be in my silo. Other people, regardless of what language or discipline, feel the same way. And they're like, okay, what's your frustration? Or I would slowly invite them to my classroom. I remember my, my second year of teaching, I had this huge group of like 30 kids in the classroom. And I just felt like I couldn't have classroom management, right? I'm like, why are these kids acting out? So I actually went to my principal and I said, can you please come to my classroom? I mean, that took a lot. It was hard for me to go to my principal. Can you come to the classroom? Please tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, and she came the next day. She's like, um, you have 25 freshman boys. Enough said. <laughs> She's like, you're doing fine. I'm like, okay, all right. And so then I like, okay. And then flash forward like 10 years later, um, when I was teaching in Florida, I had a Chinese three class, all boys, 
all boys. Now at the private school, much smaller. So it's 20 kids. And what I did is always going back to when I thought I wasn't handling myself, right? We're our own worst critics, right? And I'm like, okay. So what I did is I said, and they all love sports. I said, okay, this is going to be our curriculum for you. Here are the must. I have to teach you X, Y, and Z. I like this. I like that. Okay. What do you guys want to do? So they chose lots of sports activities. So of course, learning sports, how to be a broadcaster, teaching them the vocabulary, threw in Chinese New Year stuff, threw in some other things. And I will tell you to this day, there are some of them after they graduated, became friends on Facebook, right? So like 11 years later, and they said, you giving us, you know, you teaching us, not giving up on us, helping us get through with all the testosterone in that classroom, that was meaningful to them because I realized who I'm teaching. I got these boys, most of them are sophomore boys. They really like sports. I wanted to engage them, still teach them. So, and we had a compromise. And I always think about, you know, I always am so critical about what I'm doing in the classroom. But if having someone come in and observe you or, ha- or talking about it or, you know, communication is the key. You can't just teach and keep teaching what you need to do. You need to grow and develop. And that is what I've learned from my students. And then being, being a, a parent of two children with learning disabilities, I've learned that I just have to have, they're humans. They're, I have to give them grace. How can I help support them? You know, um, I'll have a student, they, um, my higher levels do blogs. And if I have a student reach out to me and said, oh, I know the deadline is at, you know, this time tonight, I, you know, had a really late night. Um, can I turn them in a few hours later? I'm going to say yes. Why? Because one, I've built that trust with them. Two, they know that if they do this all the time, I'm going to say no. But three, life happens. And what is my goal of giving them blogs? And so they're practicing the language. If I say no, they're not practicing the language. So what's the purpose of that? And even if I take a late point off or just something, if, if I do or don't. So for me, how I've evolved is talking, communicating, being there for my students. And so how do I, how do people be there for me is by my network. So starting with that small consortium in Florida, being involved with FFLA, going to Actful, going to SCOLT and meeting people, meeting like-minded people and just talking and hanging out and collaborating before like social media really took off. And I would prefer the face-to-face actually than sometimes the social media things, but that's, I've learned to talk and communicate, which is not something that I organically would have done in the beginning, but I realized I need it. I need people to talk, to understand what I'm talking about, to give me ideas, right? I think the research shows when the higher level, you know, or thinking and collaboration is done when there's multiple people, right? So, and that's hard when you're the your only Chinese teacher, um, you have to reach out and talk to other people and not just Spanish teachers talking to Spanish teachers or Chinese teachers talking, talk to everybody. We all have something to offer um, regardless of what discipline we're teaching. Vulnerability and asking for support. So what are the kinds of things that um, starting with maybe administrators and then colleagues, parents, Um, even family members, how can they offer support to teachers? I think administrators, um, 
you know, they, they were once classroom teachers. And so my hopes is always that they don't forget that when they become administrators. And it's the, it's the little things. So um, I stepped down a couple of years ago. I was the 12th grade dean and I was on the leadership team for my, um, for my high school. And we would talk about how do we support teachers? So one of the things that the, the high school principal would do was at the beginning of school year, which I thought was cool, he had a piece of paper and he says, which month out of the year is your most stressful month? And what is your favorite treat? So whenever that month came around, he would come and give you that treat as a perk and a pick me up. Or when we knew January, February, right, right before spring break is when everyone is just drained and exhausted. We would, as a leadership team, write notes to each of the teachers as encouragement and thanking them for what they did. Because teachers, we really, we, we like love everything. Like if it's a $5 Starbucks gift card or just a little note of encouragement that you are seen. I think teachers need to be seen. So if administrators can see us and recognize us individually is, is I mean, yes, I love Teacher Appreciation Week. But I value that little tiny note that 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 the administrator wrote to me personally and can say, I, I see you, you are known and you are heard. Like, that's what I do with my students in the classroom. I see you, you are known, you are heard in my classroom, in my school, in my district. Can you see me as an individual and not just a blanket teacher? Like here, this is what you did, Lisa. I'm so proud of you. Keep up the good work. Like, that's that's what we want. It's these little minute things of appreciation. We're not expecting a huge, you know, <laughs> like buffet or anything. I mean, that would be nice, but just, I think the little things are more meaningful so that administrators can support. And I think with, with parents too, you know, that one parent that comes and talks to you or sends you an email or is like, I appreciate what you're doing. We just, we want to just hear once in a while that what we're doing is meaningful and more than just the feedback we get from students in the classroom. So for administrators just to recognize us and see us and if they're in the classroom observing us, you know, don't like I give feedback to students, right? I'm not going to give them, I don't grade something and then everything's with red pen. I'm going to say, here's some, here's some three growth areas and here are some things that are stellar. Can't, te can't administrators do that for us? Like this is what's really rocks. Hey, let's, let's work on this. Something that's small and tangible, like we do for students in the classroom. Um, and not just this needs to be fixed. This is egregious. Like, how can I support you? What, what are your plans? Like the best boss I've had, um, because sometimes I'm shy to say what I really want, he saw me and he's like, you know what? You would be a fantastic dean of grade 12 students. I'm like, what? And so he's like, I see your leadership skills. I see what you did. I really encourage you to apply. Same with being department chair. So sometimes we need a little external encouragement because we are seen by our administrators and they see our talents. And I think that's really, is really important. Mm -hmm. I know I've seen on social media with different administrators and everything where they say, you know, and principals, have you asked your teachers lately, you know, what they need? Have you gone by their classroom and offered to give them a little break and just, you know, let them step outside the room for a few minutes and you talk to the students? Or have you, you know, just asked your teachers, how's it going? You know, what do you need? Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. And that's exactly. so critical. And when you see that it goes away, you see almost like the energy being sucked out of the teacher. 
Absolutely. They just don't feel like, like you said, there's anyone that knows them or sees them or hears them and supports them. Sometimes that support is just a, you know, pausing a minute and coming by and saying, how's it going? What can I do for you? And I think sometimes administrators forget that because I know I've been in several schools and I've heard other teachers that administrators, I'll be more in the classroom or I want to see what you're doing. I want to get to know you. And then they don't show up. And I don't know if they don't realize how disappointing it is because you're like, oh, they're going to come and see me not to evaluate because they want to know me. They want to see the good that I'm doing in the classroom. You know, I think um, I've had a couple of administrators that said that and at the end of the school year, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't make it to every classroom. You know, we were busy X, Y, and Z, but I will have to tell you, I, I welcome my administrators to come on a non-evaluation and just drop in. You know, I'd rather have them drop in for five minutes and look and see the kids being engaged and see what I do organically. So students get used to a community right? This administrator is coming in. It's not that they're, oh, we have to be in our best behavior because they're being evaluated, but develop a community that, that, that students will see their teachers, they'll see administrators, they'll see department chairs, they'll see this. And it feels like natural, like, wow, so many people are vested in that education that want to do that. And, you know, talking about that continuity of how can I help you? Do you need a restroom break? Can you, why don't you go get a cup of coffee? I'll just hang out with the kids. We'll chit chat. But I will tell you, like myself, and I know a lot of other, especially a lot of other friends and teacher friends that I've talked to, that some of them have been remote for the entire school year where maybe their circumstances don't allow them to be face-to-face in the classroom, but the school is face-to-face, but they're remote. And they even feel more isolated. And they, and they talk to me, right? And building that network, they're like, oh my gosh, Lisa, you know, I've been remote for the whole entire school year. My students are sitting in the classroom. They're Zooming, they're using, you know, Google Meet with me, um, and I see them, and at the beginning of the pandemic, my administrator checked in with me, beginning of school year, and I haven't heard from them. I feel isolated, I don't feel part of the school community, because that's, that we create community in classroom, and we want to have that community as well, and I think, um, I think it's been, it's been hard for a lot of teachers that are remote, um, to be able to do that and just the student, the teachers in the classroom that are teaching face-to-face with a mask, they have to log into their laptop because then they have remote students themselves. So they have to teach the students face-to-face in the classroom and not forget the ones that are on the screen. And every situation is different. It's either a hybrid schedule. And I think some administrators, um, I think they need to be more present now more than ever in the classroom and reaching out to remote teachers to make sure they feel that support and part of the community, right? Community is so essential for us as humans. Um, and I think, I think some administrators are unfortunately forgetting about that right now that, you know, that we we're struggling. You know, I have my, my children here at home. I have a senior, excuse me, I have a freshman in college. She's remote but she's here with me. So she's trying to learn to, to use um, the learning management system that she has to use. And then my, um, my ninth grader goes to my school. So he's goes face to face every day, but then I have a sixth grader who is um, here and there's connectivity problems with the internet. Or sometimes I actually have to give her my laptop because her laptop's not working and I have to use my cell phone and zoom into my classes. So, I mean, it's, it's what we do and I'm tired. Yes. Um, 
and I have to make, and I just have to make a little more effort to try to talk to my teacher, not my teachers, but my teacher friends. It's, it's not easy, but we teach and it's, it's hard. Um, and I just, I want administrators to kind of step up a little bit and realize that this is, is not easy for everyone, even teachers that are back in the classroom. I mean, you have to Clorox wipe this or use this type of wipe and do this and make sure they're distance and that. And so it's just for me, um, what keeps me going is that I know I'm not alone. I know I have my, my friends there to support me that I can reach out in a heartbeat. And there are some that reach out to me. So I don't even have to send them a text or something that they're there because I've established that network and, and um, having someone to talk to just to vent, just to listen, you know, maybe not offering solutions. That's, that's so, so important. And the kids, I mean, there are, the kids are wonderful. You establish that rapport with them and they ask, ask, how are you doing? How are you? How is everything going for you? You know, and you, you establish that that relationship with them. So isn't that great when the kids want to know about you and want to make sure you're doing okay and everything. And yeah, because they do kids do they they're little human beings and they do care. They're not so bad as a lot of people paint them out to be. So just like teachers are not all bad as sometimes they're painted to be, you know, yeah it's it's we're all human beings and we just tap into the humanity of each other and we can get through this so just one other thing i want to talk about really quickly um so support but what about sacrifices that have to be made by families um or by like that constant struggle of the role that you play as a parent and then the role you play as a teacher slash parent to your other kids air quotes right all those those students that that need you and that you make a difference in their lives too um so what are what are some of those things (laughs) you know you know talking it's interesting right teaching 21 years having a family growing a family one of the things like if I think about before I had children, you know, working late, grading papers, try to get like a 24 or 48 hour turnaround on things. And one thing I've learned to balance, to be able to support my children, um, my children in my house and to advocate for them and help them um, is they're my priority and they know my students in the classroom are priority. But, and for me, I've learned, as I say, selectively, like abandon some things, right? There, I, I, you know, like I have, one of my passions is mentoring, right? And I think that's, that's, that started from me wanting to network and reach out and support teachers. And one of the things is I tell teachers, even language teachers, I said, don't expect to do reading, writing, listening, and speaking in 45 minutes every day in the classroom. It is okay that if you're gonna focus on speaking task or if you're focusing on a presentation, you know, a presentational writing task, it doesn't have to be, you don't, you're doing the best that you can be at that very moment. And you'll be surprised that what you think is your worst is actually really good because we're really hard on ourselves as teachers. So I think to kind of take, take and create boundaries like, and, 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 and stick to them. And I know it's hard. We want to please everybody. We want to please administrators and parents and, and things like that. But if a, if a student's going to email you at nine o'clock at night, um, you don't have to respond to them. 
right? Wait till the next morning, spend time with your family. There are some teachers that I know, they say Monday through Thursday is, you know, I'm going to focus on my teaching and I allocate these hours. And then the weekends are my weekends and I need to be that with my family. And I think we want to lesson plan and do everything perfect and have everything perfect where it doesn't need to be. There are things you can be, it's work smarter, not longer, right? It's, it's not harder. There are things you can do. So I've, that's one thing I tell teachers. It's, it is okay. Have students involved in your, in your process. Don't have your rubric already planned out or don't have this brainstorm with them. Involve them in the learning so that way you're not stuck coming up with every single idea and every single thing that they wanted have them create games have them do this have them more involved in their learning you know and that builds those things so the onus isn't always a hundred percent on you and on your shoulders learning to delegate learning to create boundaries is really important and it took me a long time to realize that but I had to to balance you know um my professional career as a teacher and also um, being involved in professional organizations such as Actful and SCOLT, um, you have to strike a balance. You have to, or your, 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 men your mentality, your mental health is really important because you need to be there for your students, your children, your family. And so you have to, you, you can, you don't have to give 3000% to your teaching. You can <laughs> go back to 2000 or 1000, um, but you could just just be smart about how you do that. And so once I talked to a language teacher about, you don't have to do all the four skill areas at once in your 45 minute to an hour time frame of teaching. She felt, she's like, really? She, she just breathed and felt a sense of relief. Like, I don't, I said, no, you know, think about this. It doesn't have to be, there's no, there's nothing that says that you need to do that. You know, you know if you're teaching proficiency, if you're doing what you need to do, you're fine. And it's okay, you know, if you're having a great conversation in the classroom and you just continue with that. I mean, it's bring your students in, in into the mix. So to me, my students are my best energy and the best best power I can harness to help alleviate that burnout that it's not me, right? It's not all about me. I'm not just the one who has something to offer or something to plan. Creating a balance is, is, is essential. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready for the rapid fire questions? So uh oh, all right, here we go. Fill in the bikes. <laughs> every answer is perfect. Oh gosh, okay. okay. <laughs> Teaching is my love. That comes across loud and clear. <laughs> what I want administrators to know about my job is it's exhausting. My best advice to a new teacher would be? Find your teacher tribe. My greatest hope for all children is? That they have a passion for learning different cultures and learning in general, and that they can do anything that they put their mind to. Love it. Love all your answers. <laughs> and you really did just give short answers, but very powerful ones. A lot of times we go off on another like tangent in the short answer questions, but that's okay too. So um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And when, when I was in college, we used to have the, like the blue books. This is the way it was in Europe and you had to write essays and you could 
you know, just you could have whatever opinion you wanted as long as you substantiated it and had evidence and stuff like that. There's just this whole idea of one right answer, one, you know, pick one out of only four limited choices, you know, A, B, C, D. It's just, I don't know, I go, I just hope we can change that in education and not keep going more down that road. But um, but I think I'm hopeful, right? I even think with with here's my little tangent like with life right I I felt like when I was growing up you know you go to university you know then you graduate and then you get a job and then you get married and there's like this prescriptive thing to do and like with my daughter you know who is a freshman and she's struggling with remote learning and I said there is nothing that says you can't take a semester off that you can't do this there it is it is a marathon it's it could be a three four or five year there's nothing like to do that so I want students to and parents and people to understand that even in life there are different paths and it's okay to pause it's okay to to switch to do different things that there isn't one right way to go and that's like language learning right it's it's not linear language learning is not linear life is not linear and then it's okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah I finally learned those lessons when I did the Camino and I was <laughs> on a path literally <laughs> and then realized I didn't have to follow the same path and pace and prescription uh, certain <laughs> stops and certain ways to do it that I had learned from a book you know, like, you know, the Camino for dummies, so to speak. uh, (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of helpful things to learn from lessons like that, but there's nothing like uh, experience and figuring things out on your own, right? Because that's what life is, is just figuring things out one step at a time. It, it exactly. And I, um, and that's the best piece of advice I hope to impart onto my my children is that you know they have so much ahead of them and there isn't a prescriptive way to go about it and that no whatever their path is I'm there to support them and love them and nurture them and that's like teachers in the classroom right every every student is unique and has a different path and a different growth and it is okay to to grow in the way that you need to grow and develop so I'm going to leave it at that because that is <laughs> profound and passionate and I love it. So thank <laughs> you, Lisa. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate the opportunity.